want to remind you, last week we um, learned what it means to be compelled to be thankful. And I know for me it has been a great exercise to try to replace the complaining or the knee-jerk reactions to things with thankfulness. It's been a great lesson, and it's actually infiltrated many other areas of life. And so I want to remind you of some questions. Are you thankful for everything that God has done for you? Are you thankful for what he's currently doing for you? Are you thankful for what he is going to do for you? Are you thankful for who he is? And as we turn our minds and our thoughts to answering those questions and being more and more thankful in our everyday life, that thankfulness leads us to what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to discuss what it means to be compelled to be generous. So as we grow in thankfulness for who God is, I believe that we can't help but be generous. We express that thankfulness. Because when you recognize the work that Jesus Christ did for us, and then that work is for all people, and it's the most important work that we can talk about, that we can base our lives on, then everything that we do is an expression of that great work that Jesus did for us. And it causes us to be generous. Causes us to be generous with our time so that we want to give more and more to the work of Jesus Christ. It causes us to be more generous in the way that we serve other people. So the time that we used to have set aside to care for just self and we were selfish by nature, now suddenly we want to care for other people. And so we're generous with how we care for others. And then, of course, the one that nobody wants to talk about, we're more generous with our money because suddenly there is no greater work that our money could do than to serve the Lord. And so now all of a sudden we're generous in many categories of life. And I believe it comes from, some of it comes from this idea of being thankful. So today, I don't want to place any obligation on anyone. We're not going to talk about the criteria that are needed for finances and for planning your time and all of that. We're not going to bind it by any sort of predetermined amount. What we are going to talk about is what scripture says is a heart of generosity. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer of Jesus Christ, then you're going to express that generosity with no limits. That's the great thing about the work of the Lord. So I want to I preface this by saying we're not going to have a list of to-dos because that is not what Jesus Christ is about. He works from the inside and he expresses who he is and he'll express that in generosity. But I want to frame today around the idea that Scripture talks about many different applications of generosity in dif different areas, and I've mentioned a few of them. But I want to point out to you a verse before we read our passage, a verse from Matthew 23, 23. It says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and other spices, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the point that's being made here is we could very easily be meticulous about one area of generosity, thinking that our, our detail in that one area 
makes up for all of the other lack of generosity in other areas. And we ignore the weightier matters. And we're going to get to some of the application of that. But the point that we're saying here, that scripture is saying, is that we are not to neglect any application of generosity. We are to be growing in generosity every day as we grow in the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us. We need to be generous in how much we talk about Jesus, how much we serve Jesus, how much we help others, how much we give financially, and the list goes on and on. So where are we getting this from? We're going to look to 2 Corinthians today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians. You can also turn there digitally if you want to pull up your Bible app. 2 Corinthians, and we're going to go to chapter 9, but I want you to keep it open because we are going to reference chapter 8 kind of throughout, um, and we're going to read a little portion of chapter 8 later on. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read verses 6 through 15. We believe here at Calvary that this is the complete full work and word of God. And so as we believe that and as we read that, we stand in the reading of the presence or in the, in the reading of God's word. If you're able to stand, please do so. Turn your hearts in reverence before his spoken word. 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You may be seated. Remember, keep your Bible open because we're going to reference not only what we read, but a few verses in chapter 8 as we go. But as I read that verse or that passage, and as I pondered the idea of generosity, of course the first thing that came to my mind and the first thing that has probably come to your mind, and it may even be shutting your brains down right now, is, oh boy, he is going to take another offering. He wants more of our money, right? Generosity is way bigger than that. 
And so I want to point us to what Scripture tells us is the motivation for generosity. If you're following along on the screen, you'll see some notes. You can uh, pull up your Church Center app, and those notes are going to be in there. You also can grab a copy if you haven't done so, and you can fill in those blanks. But the very first blank that you want to fill in is what is the motivation for generosity? And so there's a whole bunch of these, and I'm going to try to move through them relatively quickly. But the first thing I want to point out is generosity is the expression of our gratitude. I mentioned thankfulness. We talked about that last week. We introed it this week. And the idea is that if you aren't filled with gratitude, then you're not going to be generous. Because all of a sudden, if you don't have the proper motivation for that generosity, then it's no longer generosity, it becomes an obligation. So some of you this morning may have shown up with what you're, you're in your mind you're thinking of generosity as money, tithe, right? And you may be doing it out of an obligation, grudgingly. You walk in, you put it in that box. But that's not the heart of generosity. The heart of generosity comes from this gratitude of who God is and what he has done for us. And it doesn't mean that if you're struggling and maybe you're going, oh man, this is a really difficult thing to do when you give your money. It doesn't suddenly mean that you have no thankfulness for your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But I believe that as we grow in our understanding of what God truly has done to us, done for us, of Jesus Christ going to the cross and giving his entire life up so that I could have life. As I grow in that understanding, I'm going to grow in my expression of saying thank you to him, and that is generosity through many different means. It's easy for our tank of gratitude, if you will, to become emptied by negativity, forgetfulness, circumstances, etc. And so then that gift that God gave us, the thing that's supposed to be our first love that is motivating everything else, compelling us by the love of Christ, suddenly it's not as important as what it once was because other things have overwhelmed us. And so getting back to the motivation for generosity, I believe generosity is an expression of our gratitude. Do you see what it said in verse 15 of chapter 9 at the very end? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Isn't that a great tie-in to last week with thankfulness that everything that we're doing and I mentioned that car that pulls out in front of you and you slam on the brakes. Our first reaction is not, thank you for your inexpressible gift, God, right? But if that's penetrating our mindset so that as we express the different things in life, we're expressing our heart. And if our heart is filled with Jesus Christ and we are in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he fills us, then the things that come out are going to be expressions of gratitude and thankfulness. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And that ties into verse 7 where it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, we're giving, not reluctantly, not under compulsion to do so, but because God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerfulness is tied right into that thankfulness that we are so excited to partner with God himself with what he has given us, that we can't help but be generous. And so it's an expression of gratitude. We also see from this passage that generosity is the outpouring of God's grace. 
Verse eight tells us this, God is able to make all grace abound to you. And so if God's grace is abounding to me, then it should also be abounding out of me. If I am being filled with who God is and I'm growing in that knowledge and that understanding and I want to apply it more and more, then as it abounds to me, then I am abounding that grace outward towards others. And so I am motivated by grace. The second part of verse 8 says this, So that, having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you remember I always point out to you these words in Scripture that we ignore all the time? Having sufficiency in all things. Not some things, all things. Then it continues, that at all times you may abound in every good work. We look at verses like this and we go, yeah, but you don't understand the circumstance I am, I'm in or the attitude that I have or that person made me feel this way so I can't do this. No, it says in the second part of verse 8, at all times in all things, you will have sufficiency in all things. But you also have to be careful with a verse like this because this is not a support verse for claiming that God gives wealth to people who give of their finances. This is not a, I am going to do this so that I get this blessing. Remember, if generosity is from the heart, that's not a heart attitude. That's an obligation that you're now placing on God, that I'm giving this so you better do this. That's not what generosity is. That's not what this verse is saying. You see, we're storing up our treasures on earth, or on, in heaven, not on earth. Good catch, right? We're storing up treasures in heaven, not on earth. So we're motivated, not by the bonus of heavenly treasures even, but because we're recognizing that those treasures, those blessings from God that he is giving, are an act of his grace. We know about them now, that we're storing up these treasures in heaven, but still our motivation is because we're going, wow, this gracious God not only gave me salvation, but he continues to pour all over me, his grace through treasures and blessings that I'm going to have for all eternity. And so even the recognition of saying, wow, God is going to give me even more. Yes, that should be a deeper understanding for you to recognize his grace, his abounding grace. Here's an example. I recognize that my wife works extremely hard in the home. She is a homeschooling mom, so she's busy with homeschooling. She's busy with mothering. She's busy with wifing, if that's a word. But she is a a very hard worker, and she does it for the glory of the Lord. Not out of obligation. Maybe some days are harder than others. But most of the time, it's because she understands how God equipped her and what God is asking of her, and she loves the Lord, and so she serves him out of love. So what's my responsibility? I recognize that. And all I want to do is focus my attention, my love, my recognition on her. And so I show up one day with flowers, right? Or maybe a vacuum or a new dust wand extension. No, I'm kidding. That's horrible. (laughs) Let's say I show up with flowers. That sounds better, right? And she's surprised by that. It's a surprise. She's not saying, okay, every Monday you bring me fresh flowers because that way it'll earn my work for the week. 
I do it because I'm not a chump. I do it because I recognize how great she is. And I say, I just want to bless her more and more. But her motivation is not to earn flowers. Her motivation is because the Lord is asking her to do it. So similarly, what's your motivation in generosity? Are you doing it because you're earning these extra blessings from the Lord, these treasures in heaven? Or is your motivation because you understand that every gift from him, including the extra It's all extra. It's his display of grace. And so that's why this is a heart issue. This is not a checklist issue of generosity. It comes from the depth of who we are. And generosity is an outpouring of God's grace. The next thing that we see about generosity is that it is from the heart. Very quickly, I threw this one in there because that's what I've been saying. And it comes from verses like Psalm 86, 12, where it says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. What does the word whole mean? Some or all? All. It means all. And so as we serve the Lord, we do it fully completely with every ounce of who we are and that is including the topic of generosity that we can't make categories that fit us so generosity is from the heart i mentioned that i want to read a little bit from chapter 8 so if you have your bibles open i'm just going to read verses 1 2 and 3 from chapter 8 that set the stage for what we read in chapter 9 it says this We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. The reason I mention this is because we talked about a few things that generosity is. Generosity is not motivated by resources. Generosity is not a matter of rich or poor. It is not a matter of you're well off or you're just scraping by. You see the example that was given in chapter 8 that it was in their extreme poverty that they gave. They gave a certain amount, but then they said, no, we're giving even more than that. And it was in their extreme poverty that their generosity was extreme, a wealth of generosity, Scripture says. So it's not motivated by your resources because stingy can come in all types of people. Self-serving can come in the rich and the poor. Pride comes in all varieties of people. So it's not a matter of resources. I've actually heard people say, and if this is you, I guess your toes are going to get stepped on. But I've actually heard people say, oh, I give money to the church so I don't have to give my time. And I would have to assume that the opposite is also true. I give a bunch of my time to the church so I don't have to give of my money. Does that sound like generosity? Does that sound like what it tells us in chapter 8, that we are going to be growing in this act of grace, that we are going to be growing in generosity in all categories? We started with Matthew 23, 23 that says that we are not to neglect areas of generosity. That sounds like we're neglecting areas of generosity. And so generosity is not motivated by resources. Generosity is also not a predetermined amount, a predetermined amount of time or money 
or time spent helping others. It's not predetermined. Because if it was predetermined, then you have it down to a science, and now it's just a formula that you plug into your life. Now it is just an obligation that you have applied to your life. Generosity is not those things. It is not a predetermined amount of time. And so as we get into the application of generosity, it's not determined by your comfort, your calendar, your budget. It comes from your heart. You are compelled to be generous because of the love that Jesus Christ displayed for you on the cross, that he gave up everything. Generosity is connected to our growth in the knowledge of God and our own salvation. And so generosity grows as we grow in Christ. So I want to give you some statistics because part of this, of course, as we apply generosity, has to do with giving. And we don't talk about giving very frequently, so we're going to do a little bit of that today. If we talk about money, and in some of these statistics there's time spent, but as we talk about money, according to the World Giving Index... The United States is the most generous country in the world. The United States government, according to this study, whenever, whatever year it was done, gave $33 billion to foreign aid and foreign relief. Private donors, which means over and above what the government gave, private donors gave $44 billion to international aid. So private donors in the United States gave more money than the government itself. That's how generous people are. When we talk about religious or faith-based giving, that stands out among all of the population of the United States. In the religious group or faith-based groups of people, adoptions are two and a half times greater than anyone else. Refugee work and prison volunteers, are, are majority of those people are faith-based or religious people. In churches alone, there are 130,000 alcohol recovery programs and 120,000 unemployment programs. That's wonderful. As we look to see what the Lord has given us, we're generous and we give it. We're spreading light into a lost world. So when we compare our country with other countries, we should celebrate how generous that is. But, you knew I was going to get you, right? But, when we look at this not comparatively to other countries, but we look at it as a percentage of income, the percentage of income on average, and this includes religious and non-religious charities, the percentage of income that is given is in between 2 and 3%. So that includes if you give to a church and you support a child in, in Africa or you give to the United Way or something like that. It's non-religious and religious. It's in between 2 and 3%. And that's the average. The median is 0.62% of income. Now, just like giving any of these statistics, there's some of you that are in here that go, I give 20%. That doesn't apply to me. That's fine. Are you growing in generosity as you grow in your understanding of the Lord? Some of you go, all I can do is 0.1% right now. Or maybe it's at zero. I, don't even know. I didn't even know giving was a thing. Okay, are you going to commit now to growing in generosity as you understand the generosity of Jesus Christ? So the median is actually 0.62%. 20% of people in the religious realm 
give nothing to charity, either religious or non-religious. It's 100% of their stuff to themselves. And here's a fascinating number. If 90% of committed, born-again believers gave a standard of 10%, say that one more time, if only 90% of committed, born-again believers gave 10%, it would increase giving by $133 billion to churches. Increase $133 billion. So at the very beginning of this, this is not meant to make you feel horrible about yourself. This is for us to check our hearts and go, whoa, the generosity of Jesus Christ giving everything so that I can have life is supposed to rock my world so that I express that gratitude to him in so many areas of life and giving is one of them. So does this mean now that you're immediately going to go do all of these things better? No, it doesn't. But should it be your heart's desire because of how generous the Lord was to you? Absolutely. And these are exercises in trust. If I give up of my time, how am I going to have time to do these other things? If I give my money, how am I going to have money to do these things? You might, you might not. But we also know that we trust the Lord to provide for us. So all of this comes from our understanding of who God is, what he's done for us, what he's going to continue to do for us. And so what this means as we look about planning, I want to talk about budget, I want to talk about your calendar, your family calendar. I want you to think about all of those things as I mention this. When you map out your budget, when you map out your calendar, and you ask yourself, should I have my child in six sports this year or eight or 10. How can I, don't laugh because some people do that. As you map out your calendar and those things, a lot of times we ask, can we afford that? Because those fees are pretty high. How many of us stop and go, wait, it's not just a financial decision. Am I leaving enough room in my calendar and my budget so that I can be generous? And I'm calling that word margin. Do we plan our lives with enough margin to do what Scripture tells us to do, which is be generous in all of those categories? And so often, in my own planning, in the planning of everyone here, we typically say, can I afford it? But it's purely a financial thing. Or do we have time for it? But it's purely a self-serving calendar. The point that I'm trying to make here is that if we're looking to add things, does it decrease the amount of generosity that we're already showing or does it increase the time or the money allowed to be generous? Because if it decreases it, then you're taking away from the Lord and his work. That's the point. This week as I was going through this and I kept having these ideas of my time or my money, I thought of my youngest son, Sully. He's five and he's learning how to use air quotes. And it's really funny when he gets them right, because you're like, whoa, that applied. That's really funny. But he gets them wrong quite frequently. And so the reason I was thinking about that is because I was, as I was thinking about planning for margin in our lives, I realized that I was saying things like our money or my money and my time. And I thought of Sully, and it made me chuckle because I could see him sitting at the dinner table saying something like, mom, is this meatloaf? 
or like he, I don't have an exact example, but he would do things like that at the dinner table and we'd all laugh going, where did this kid learn air quotes? But the idea is a lot of times we plan our budget and our calendar because it's our money and our time and it's humorous because it's all God's anyway. And he's looking for us to trust him by being generous. Even in chapter eight of 2 Corinthians where it says it was a wealth of generosity that they showed. That's what the Lord is looking for. It's not our money and our time anyway. It's him. Are we being faithful with it? And the point here is that generosity is not based on resources. It's not a predetermined amount of time because generosity comes from, from Christ. You saw in chapter 8, verse 9 that I read, it says, For you know, actually I didn't read that, but let's read it now. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, may become rich. Kevin DeYoung says this about that particular verse. How can that not change everything? You know what it is. If you are a true, born-again, justified, on-your-way-to-heaven believer, you know what it is to be shown mercy. You know what it is to be given more than you deserve. You know what it is to have someone take pity on your poor, wretched soul. It's no surprise then that we would be generous. How could we not? Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that although he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He left the glories of heaven to be born of a woman, born under the law, born in the squalor of a borrowed stable. He who had all riches imaginable, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. I started by telling you that we were not going to give you exact definitions of what this looks like. Don't interpret what he said or what that verse said, that suddenly you need to sell everything that you have and you need to live this horrible low life. That's not what it was. Studies actually show Jesus was a middle-class person even though he had no head to lay his home, or no head to call his home or to lay his head. No home to lay his head. Thank you. Just winging it at this point, right? So it's not that you have to take the example of what someone else did. I know that there's pastors out there that have said, I'm selling everything and I'm living in a box. That's not what this is saying. Because generosity comes from the heart your recognition of who Jesus is, what he has done for you, what he continues to do for you, how he has treated your poor, wretched soul. That because he was rich, he became poor so that me as poor can become rich. That is what this is saying. So as we close, I want to give you some examples from chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. Now that we see the motivation for how this is supposed to happen, what are the examples of generosity? There are three of them that I want to mention to you. The very first thing that we recognize from chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, the three verses that I read for you, and I'm going to insert a few more, is that these Macedonians that Paul is talking about, you see what's going on at this time is there's a famine in Jerusalem. Paul is collecting money from area churches and people for the saints who are going through this famine. There's a number of times that Paul mentions this collection of offerings that's extra for these saints in this famine. And actually, it shows that Paul, through many of the mid-50s AD, was going around collecting 
for the saints, providing for them. 1 Corinthians 16 says, now concerning the collection for the saints. And he talks more about it. Romans 15 says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So what we see here is that in Paul's writings, he is giving indication that he collected some extra for people who were struggling. But Paul mentions a characteristic that's worth repeating. And he mentions it to stir up the Corinthians who he's writing to. And he uses the Macedonians as an example. Look at verse 2 of chapter 8. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Joy defined their giving. The Macedonians were so excited to join in the, in the giving that even in their extreme poverty, they gave joyfully. Joy means to be glad. They were glad to give. And you remember verse 7 that we read from chapter 9. It says, cheerful. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is where we get the word hilarious from. So giving is so joyful, is so exciting to give because of what the Lord has given me, I want to partner with him. I can't help but give to the cause of Jesus that I do it joyfully, that it's almost hilarious how fun this is. That's the idea that we're getting from here. And some of you might scoff at that, but I think you should try it sometime. Because when you see what the Lord can do with even just a little, it's kind of a hilarious thing. Because it doesn't make sense. We look at it and we say, this is only one dollar that I'm giving. And the Lord says, I'm looking at your heart and you gave even just a little bit. And so I'm going to bless that because the Lord does great work. And so we see a cheerful giver is a joyful giver. And then to drive the point home, look at verse four. These people, these Macedonians were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging to give are there more opportunities that we can give? Can we give more of what we already gave? We gave a standard amount, but then we gave in extra. And it was so fun that we just want more opportunities to give. I've seen that spirit here at Calvary. I've seen us mention special needs. I've seen people come in and go, that person was laid on my heart and I want some way to be able to give to them. I've had people come up to me after the service from this congregation and say, I have money that I'm ready to give right now. Is there a fund set up online? And I'm going, we just, that just popped up this morning in a prayer request. We don't have any way to, to collect that right now. But people are so eager to give because the generosity, the spirit of God is alive here. The spirit of recognizing who Jesus is to you is alive. And some of you have seen it. Some of you have been recipients of it. Some of you haven't taken part of it at all. But that is the goal because generosity overwhelms our heart and we express it and we do it joyfully as we see in chapter 8. But the other thing that we recognize is that giving is also sacrificial. Generosity means that you're doing something for someone else that maybe you can't do for yourself anymore. It's sacrificial. There were words used throughout verses 2 and 4 of chapter 8. It says they were in extreme poverty. So remember how I said generosity is not motivated by resources? Here's an example. They had nothing. 
They were in poverty and they were generous enough to be announced by Paul and used as an example of generosity. So we can't get in this mindset that I have so little, I can't be generous. doesn't matter. It's a heart attitude. And we have to be able to give sacrificially out of extreme poverty, it says. Verse 4 says, according to their means, so they gave a percentage maybe, and then they said, but I'm so generous that I'm going beyond our means of their own accord. It wasn't under compulsion. Paul didn't go to them and say, check this box, hurry up and you better give because you're earning rewards or anything like that. It wasn't under compulsion. So they gave a standard expression of generosity and then they gave even more out of their extreme poverty. I mentioned margin earlier. Margin requires us to have sacrifice in our life. It means that maybe we have to reprioritize our budget. Maybe we have to reprioritize our calendar. We have to start saying no to things so that we can be able to say yes to being generous to people when they need help, when they need to be served, when they need to be cared for. It means that we have to have margin. And some of you are going, oh man, he's really laying it on that we need to sacrifice and live simply and all of these things. Matt Chandler has a quote about this. He says, it's not that we weren't meant to enjoy It's that we weren't meant to be owned by enjoyment. And I know for me, it's really easy to be owned by enjoyment. And I think if we took a look at our own calendars, if we took a look at our own budget, it would be very easy to see that we are owned by enjoyment. Have fun. Do the things that the Lord has blessed you with, but is there enough margin to be generous because generosity means giving sacrificially, means giving joyfully, but it also means giving graciously. Verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you might become rich. What grace of God. Everything that we have and see and understand is a gift from God because of his rich grace. You see, giving out of compulsion or guilt or obligation, those are temporary motivations because suddenly I'm not going to feel guilty anymore, so I stop giving. I'm not going to feel obligated anymore, so I stop giving. I'm not going to have the resources I once had, so I can stop giving. Giving is not motivated by those things. It's because of God's grace that we give. And God's grace, it tells us, is sufficient for us. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. He writes that about what Jesus teaches him. And I know that that was in dealing with Paul's physical affliction, but the application is that God's grace is sufficient for you in all areas. Paul mentions in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I underline the word hardships in my notes because hardships is so often the thing that shuts us down from being generous. It shuts us down from donating, from serving, from giving of our time. And we say, this is going to be a difficult thing for me, so I won't do it. And Paul is saying, no, 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 God's grace is sufficient for you so that even in the midst of all of those things, you are still so motivated and compelled to be generous because of the love of Jesus Christ. That is what he is saying. The word grace, as we look at giving graciously, in those two chapters of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's used 10 times. It's kind of the theme word of those two chapters. And so my challenge for you 
is that when we look at our possessions, our time, our ability to help others, do we recognize that those are all gracious gifts from God in the first place? Are we committed to spreading this grace to others? Are we committed to growing in grace? Take a look one last time at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians in verse 7. It says this, But as you excel in everything, so as believers, we're to be growing all the time in every category, not neglecting one category or another, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Not only are we to excel in everything, which means you're never done growing, but grace is one of the areas that we all need to grow in and excel. And as we give as we are generous with our time, with our resources, with our serving others, we do it joyfully, we do it sacrificially, we do it graciously. So I want to give you a quick plan. If you wrote the word plan, P-L-A-N, down the side of your paper, this is a quick plan that you can pray about, you can apply. It's a very simple application, but I think it fits as we close here. The P stands for pray. Pray for a generous heart. Some of us in this place really struggle with generosity for one reason or another, but the idea is to understand that it comes from the heart, understanding God's generosity that he has for us, that Christ gave us everything, he became poor so we can become rich. And so the first place to start is not just in recognition of who God is and what he's done for you, but pray. Tell the Lord that you want to be overwhelmed with his heart of generosity, making you generous as well. Make people a priority over prosperity. Pray for a generous heart. The L stands for lifestyle. Is there margin in your lifestyle to allow for your growth in giving of your time, of your resources? Or is that margin always very quickly used to upgrade your living? We need to allow that margin of generosity. So the L stands for lifestyle. The A in plan stands for accountability. Of course, because it's a heart thing that we have a heart of generosity, that accountability starts before the Lord. However, it's really nice to have face-to-face -face help from others. So find that trusted person who you can honestly say, I need better help with being generous and I want you to call me out. So the A stands for accountability. And finally, the plan for generosity, the end stands for no limits. And this is the overwhelming part for me because as I think about no limits, it scares me from a material standpoint, from a resources standpoint. But when I think of Jesus Christ, my Savior, who went all the way to the cross, who gave his life for me, how much God loves me beyond measure. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. When I think of no limits, I can't help but say, Jesus gave it all for me and here I am basically hoarding things instead of having that full, no limit heart of generosity. And for me, I need to be able to trust in his provisions and his promises and I need to be generous. My prayer is the same in this place. I am so thankful for the generosity in this place. But I also know from scripture that we're not, gonna, we're not done growing we're not done growing in these different areas that Paul mentioned. 
And so I know that each one of us can hold each other accountable as we seek to demonstrate the generous heart of God into this world. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the words that you have given us in Scripture. I thank you for the words that you prepared through me this week. But I also thank you for your wonderful gift of grace. That as we hear challenging things, and typically money and time are things that we rear up and we say, I just don't want to talk about it. I thank you for your gift of grace that allows us to be convicted, but not alone. That you work on our hearts and you squeeze those areas that are painful, but you are right there with us reminding us of your provision that we can trust Almighty God with these difficult things, that we can grow with you and in you, not separate from you. So I thank you for your encouragement and your grace. Lord, would you guide every aspect of our life, whether we're in poverty or whether we have an excess, would you remind us of the heart that we are to have for our Savior, Jesus Christ? And would you let that be the starting point as we express generosity to each other and to a world that needs to be told about Jesus in a generous amount and the great love that you have for us. Thank you for today and the teaching that you provided. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to read to you one more time, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, followed by Ephesians 5, 2. As we are prepared to go into a dark world that needs to understand who Jesus Christ is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And Ephesians says this, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The generosity of Jesus Christ to say, I love you so deeply, so much, I'm so in tune with the will of the Father that the will of the Father says, I want what's best for my children and they need a way to be in right standing with God himself. And so Jesus Christ took your place. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you could have life and have life to the fullest. That is the motivation as we go into a dark world that needs to see what the love of Christ looks like. Go and be compelled to be generous because of Christ's love for you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today and studying God's word. I'm just glad that you joined us and I know that many of you were impacted by today's service. If you have any questions about anything you heard or any songs that we sang or any other element of our service, please reach out to us at calvaryoclair.org. More importantly, if you have any questions about who Jesus is, you're wondering why we praise the name of Jesus. Maybe you heard us refer to him as Savior, and you don't know what that means. I don't want you to go any longer in life without knowing who Jesus is. He is my Savior. I want him to be yours as well. So would you please reach out to me through that website? I would love to talk more with you 
And once again, I thank you so much for joining us in worship today. Have a wonderful day.